Very good. I have a cloud story as well. We'd gone to City Fest in Iron Mountain last night and uh, started raining. And I'm whining to the Lord. Uh, no other way to describe it. Um, and then later on, he reminded me of the scripture where Ezra had gathered the people and they were dealing with a very serious issue. And it's raining apparently nonstop during that meeting, even though they were doing what God wanted. And, you know, it just it drew my attention to the fact that um, we aren't guaranteed sunshine just because we're doing what God wants. And uh, later I thought of uh, the story of the Benjamites. They, they had stepped into some significant sin, and the rest of Israel says, you've got to change. They're going, nope. And it brings a war about, and Israel loses two days in a row, even though they're on the right side. And eventually they, they do turn the tide of the thing. But it's like, just because we're doing something right doesn't mean it's going to be simple or easy. And uh, it just kind of caught my attention that I needed to be reminded of that. That, uh, you know, the, one of the good stories that came out even in last night, uh, you know, the attendance was down from what it would have been. But uh, one of the women who's key to this thing has been disin, uh, disconnected with the relationship with her brother for many years. They haven't talked. And last night, he came and they spent significant conversation together and made plans to get together again. And you're kind of going, that's a win. <laughs> that's a real win uh, for them. What I'd like to do this morning is look at uh, a miracle of Jesus in John chapter 2. This is called the Wedding of Cana. And uh, just recognizing that in John's gospel, it was written later than the other gospels, and some of the stories that he includes aren't necessarily in the other three, but he uh, is almost like he's filling out portions of the story because he's able to look you know, at what's been done, and he's, he's filling in gaps. And uh, he, he includes seven miracles. He has seven IMs. There's, there seems to be some very intentional writing devices when he's writing this book out. And, and so that said, when we enter this story, three times already the, they, the writer has said, the next day, the next day when he's telling a portion of the story, and he gets to this one, and he goes, the third day, and you're left kind of going, third day of what? Well, probably the third day of the wedding. Uh, some of their weddings would go a week, uh, the celebration. And so if they're already on day three, that explains a little bit of what was going on. But uh, in those first couple of verses, he, he's just setting the stage, and uh, he says there's a wedding. Jesus' mother was there, and later on you realize that she's privy to some of the preparation things, so it's quite possible there was a relationship connection and that she had a significant role in the thing. But also then Jesus shows up with his disciples, and apparently that's acceptable. And I'm kind of going, you know, receptions nowadays, couples kind of try to figure out 
who can we not invite so we can, you know, can still afford this thing? And, you know, that while well, we've got, or we've got this space, you know, and 100, 200, you know, it doesn't really matter what the number is. There's this moment where you're going, well, we can invite them, but they probably won't show up. And we get, well, in this setting, Jesus is bringing in guys who aren't even related or probably don't even know the bride and groom. And it's, it is a community celebration. The other thing that I'm thinking about is if, if this thing goes seven days, you can't afford that many times. <laughs> even as a, as a community, you can't afford a week off just to celebrate, but also you can't, uh, as a family, support that very often, right? I mean, we get nervous about one, one evening, and they're already into day three. Um, pretty significant event in a family's life, but it also shows the significance that they placed in a wedding. You know, that you're bringing families together, you're, you're doing some things that, that um, just this is so crucial to the community, it's crucial to the family, it's the next generation in a sense uh, beginning, and so it's, it's recognized this is really an important thing. Let's go on. So they're at the wedding, and the wine runs out. Well, day three, you might be going, it's about time. Look at, you know, I, I, I don't know. You know, it's just day three, that's the story. And Jesus' mother comes to Jesus and says, they're out, you know, and it's, it's with that implied time for you to do something. And Jesus gives an interesting response. He goes, woman, why are you saying this to me? My time has not yet come. Seems like a rather abrasive declaration to mom, right? Yet, she was the one who had the angel come to her and say, you're going to have a child. And she was the one that was told, this is going to be the Messiah. And she's the one that, when he was 12, he's amazing, the teachers in Jerusalem. And most likely, she's the one that has already seen him do some things that nobody else knew about. And she sees him gathering disciples, and she's going, this looks right. And yet Jesus has a different agenda. He's recognizing that he's moving toward the cross, that his popularity can only go so long, and then it's got to erode. He's recognizing that he can't allow the group around him to, to make him prominent or king. You know, later on, he, he shuts them down after he feeds the 5,000. They're ready to go, let's do it. We got a big crowd here. Let's, let's take this thing over. You know, for small communities to have a crowd that size, you basically have your army already started. And yet, Jesus is going, nope. So in this setting... Jesus is marching to a different picture. And it's like he says later on, he says, I only do what the Father tells me. 
So he has a very specific thing in mind. And I guess as Christians, we run into this kind of frequently, right? Last night I'm going, this is a night for no rain. I can see the grass crinkly on the ground. I can hear it crunch every time I step. We can wait till tomorrow. Or we get into a situation where we feel like, you know, God is, this is good. This is what God wants in the sense of the big picture. So it's got to happen now. And it needs to happen this way. And yet, when it doesn't, we're left going, what? What? And Jesus in this moment is saying, you don't understand the big picture. And there needs to be a significant amount of our energy that says, God, show me what you see. Show me how you see things. Show me what your desires are. It's not just stepping into a thing and saying, I think this is good, let's do, let's do it. But there's, there's something more significant that says, I need to find out what his agenda really is. So this is the, the challenge, but mom's not done. She goes to the service and says, do whatever he tells you to do. In other words, she knows the goodness of what is going on in this guy. She knows his capability, and there's just that sense that says, yeah, he, he kind of shut me down, but I, I, still, I still trust him. <laughs> That's impressive to me. And so she does tell the servants, do whatever he says. Now, the story goes on and says there's six, six stone water jars, ceremonial water, stone water jars, that's as much as I'm going to say about that. I can't get it out of my mouth. But anyway, they're, they're there for the washing of feet, and, it, and the idea is they probably either dip in, and, and they weren't sticking their feet in them. But uh, they hold 20 to 30 gallons of water apiece. And he says, fill them up. They weren't picking them up and carrying them somewhere else where they could put some wine in, but they were bringing water to them. Gallon of water is eight pounds, right? So 20 gallons would be 160 pounds. 30 gallons would be 240 pounds. They are not putting them on top of their heads and carrying those things. I've seen, <laughs> I've seen gals carry 10 gallons in Malawi, which is impressive to me, but 20 to 30 gallons, no way. I mean, few of us could even pick up something like that. I mean, to carry it around, right? So they're bringing water to it. They fill it completely. And then he tells them, take some out and go take it to the head steward. Can you imagine being a servant in this moment? She's telling me, do whatever he says. This guy's going to be upset. And here I am in the middle. I'm only following orders. And in some 
measure, there are seasons when following orders or being obedient to what's asked of us seems like a no-win situation. I, I would not have wanted, I would have delegated if at all possible, right? You go take that. We'll see what happens. But the beauty of it is um, they know what's going on and, and they, they give it to this guy and he finds out that it's very good, that it is wine. Um, I, was, I was reading a passage out of Psalm 119 this week and it says, your instructions are a doorway through which light shines. Isn't it amazing, like in the morning when the light's coming in a window or a door and there's just that awe of, of the new day? Some of us love that. <laughs> some don't, but some of us love that, that new light of the morning. And, um, and we think it's a great thing that the birds start singing and, the, you know, the new noises. But I'm, I digress. The psalmist loved that light coming in the door. But he goes on to say, your instructions, they're like that new light. They give insight to the untrained. And that's an interesting word, this, this untrained. It carries the idea of they give insight to the silly or the seducible. And in that, it's this idea of they give insight into someone that can be talked into foolishness or talked into a bad choice. And it's like the light of God's instruction gives insight into things that you might do that are, are stupid. And it's, it helps you say, no, this is not a good decision. So these servants... They're being obedient. They're not sure what's going to happen. But suddenly they get to participate in the miracle because they're right there watching. And they know something has transpired. Now, did it, did it turn into wine where they're carrying it and they're going, oh, that looks and smells like wine? Or did they get the water? Who knows? I don't. But... What they're seeing is the goodness of God, and the, and the steward says, this is different than anywhere else because this is better than anything we've had here so far. And, you know, the, the, I, the wonder is that when, when God does something, it, there's a generosity attached to it that isn't just saying, oh, I'll let you just get by but rather he's, he's pouring in abundance even in that situation. So that, that said, Jesus who is saying, I have a different agenda, still finds space to carry this out even in that moment. You know, it, he finds a, a window to get it done even though it, it's not the big picture. It, it is... It is not the, necessarily the path to the cross where it has to happen. But he still, out of the goodness of who he is, is, is doing this for this family 
taking away any sense of shame that would have been theirs, uh, taking away the embarrassment of having run out or not having enough money, so to speak. That's all gone in a moment. In fact, people were going to be talking of, can you believe it? I mean, it was fine, but in day three, it really kicked in. It was wondrous. And I'm looking at that and I'm going, obviously, water to wine is elementally impossible, right? It just, nobody has figured that out, how to get that done. Yet, Jesus is demonstrating a power that is not normal for what purpose? His miracles are done so that we can identify him as being unique and with the hope that when we confess our sins to him that they're forgiven as well. You know, the the idea of his salvation isn't just to say, well, I can fix things on earth, but the idea of salvation is I can restore relationship with God. That it isn't just about uh, making things nice around us, but it's saying, you know that that guilt and shame that you carry in your heart? You know the fear of encountering God because there's just this gut feeling that something isn't right and that I'm not at peace and I don't want to look at him? There is hope through Jesus. That's, That's the message of the gospel that we have, you know, we've all stepped into stupidity. We've all functioned without that light in the doorway. We've all been seduced into things that are are wretched. And yet, the scripture is saying that Jesus came to do something different. He came to bring to us new relationship with God. He came to us to say, I have something for you. And it goes beyond your abilities. It goes beyond human capability. And so he's doing the things that he considers simple. As creator, it's no big deal, right? I mean, if you make all of creation, you're making the planets, the solar systems, the galaxies, and on and on, Water to wine? Yeah, nothing. And yet, for me to say the creator of all that is willing to release me from my stupidity and still make me in relationship to him a child of his, that takes quite a bit of belief. But it's miracles like this that help me get there. It's miracles that You know, John's writing, there's enough people aware of the day that if if they had refused, he's saying, that liar, that never happened. And yet a whole community is able to testify, yeah, we were there. It was amazing. So it says, this was the first of his miraculous signs on Cana of Galilee. And this way he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So, you know, they've been, they've been hearing him talk. 
And they've been getting a few things like, you know, I saw you under the fig tree and, oh, you're a man of God. You know, they've had a few things where they're just kind of going, yeah, this guy seems unique. And then they're at the wedding and they go, whoa, nobody does this. And it's that moment where they say, we're connecting to something way beyond what we imagined. What a beautiful thing. And even now that we get to look back and say, this is part of our story too. I mean, this happened for the people of God. And so it's our story as well. It's part of our history. And we get to say, that's amazing. That's wonderful. Thanks to the Lord. So we, we seek to know the timing of God, right? We, we attempt to listen and say, what, what truly does he want in this season? Not just assuming because something's good that it's the right thing to do. You know, looking for the best, so to speak. And then knowing that obedience does open the door for illumination. And that's amazing. And just to, again, glory in the fact that his power went beyond anything that anyone else had ever done. We thank you for your scripture that speaks life. We thank you for these stories that are ours. We thank you that we can trust you in all situations. We thank you, Lord, that you illuminate our lives and bring life. We thank you that you wash away our sins completely and allow us to walk in confidence of our hope and our relationship in you. Amen. I want to give one last illustration in regard to doing the things that are intuitive versus seeking the heart of God in a matter. And then I want to pray for God's blessing upon you. Last week, our men's Bible study, we'd been walking through the book of Jeremiah, and Jeremiah's message is, don't be afraid to go into captivity. If you'll submit to this, you'll come out better in the end. That was counterintuitive for a people that had been given a geographical location and said, this is God's land for us, and God's city is this city. And yet he's going, no, you're going to be conquered and you're going to be hauled off. And in that awareness, none of those hauled off would ever be returning. It was going to happen for 70 years. That was the declaration. Some of those being hauled off would die in the journey. Some would be castrated because that was just what happened in that day. Some would, you know, it it was this dark picture they'd be in chains and yet he's saying this is appropriate in this moment to accept in the lord (laughs) that does not fit with what we want as the goodness of god right and there has to be an awareness that at times we're going to walk into things that are not consistent with our intuition even though we may have been worshiping and serving God most of our lives. But there's a necessity of saying, God, what are you desiring in this moment? I mean, think of it. What if, what if our nation were conquered 
or we were brought into a governmental thing that we said, absolutely not, this can't be God. Is there a moment, you know, and in my thinking, it's always been, well, I'd fight, you know? That'd be the God thing to do. And yet, in this moment, it wasn't for them. So that's how drastic something can be. And yet, God did take him there. He did bring him back. The 70 years was exact, you know, 70. It just, we have to listen and say, God, what are your desires here and now? What do you want? Because that's the critical issue. And he does have a word to say. So, anyway. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy what it is to walk in your will, following your instructions that lead to the light of life. I ask, Lord, that as each one goes into the community, that you'll give them words of life to speak over others, enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom, gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, O Lord, we pray. We love you this day. Amen. God bless you.